Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about choosing the best editor for you. Yeah, but what I'm really excited about is that we decided to do what we're going to call the book series. And so not um, every week for X number of weeks, but here and there, we will be dropping episodes on ideas to help you write and produce the best book for you. Yeah, exactly. Very exciting. It feels like uh, I have, I think, three private coaching students who are in one stage or another of a self-publishing process for their books. Um, for some, it's their first. For others, it is not. And and this, this I think this particular topic for today came up because I, I have one particular person who is looking for an editor right now. So uh, it's top of mind. Well, and it's funny because I've got two private students as well working on their books as we speak. And, uh, and one is here. even in the midst of the editorial process. So, <laughs> yeah, it's great. it's great timing. Excellent. So uh, what, where do you want to start? So I, I, having never hired an editor, you're the expert here. Um, I've had, I've gone through the editorial process with a, a big publisher, but I, this is, I feel like this subject is going to be much more of interest to someone who is self-publishing because the sort of editors come for free, so to speak, with uh, yeah. a big publisher. Even and a small publisher a lot of times. So when you when you go out and you you have a publisher, you, you have a deal, you get whatever editor they give you. And there's not a lot of choice. You get that person. What we're talking about today is when you're self-publishing and you need someone to make sure that your book, it, that it holds together and that it looks good you know that it's not rife with typos and your thoughts are carried through coherently throughout the book mm -hmm. okay so maybe i interview you a little bit about this so what what are the different types of editors that would participate in a process like this well so the the editor that people don't always know they need is a developmental editor and what that kind of person does is they basically tell you if you've got a book or not. They're not going through an editing copy. That's another thing we'll talk about. But they are looking to see, does this make sense as a book? Do you have enough material that it holds together? Do you have too much? Do you have not enough? Um, they're looking at word count, yes, but they're really looking at how are you expressing your ideas. And what's really helpful, especially if you've never written a book before, but I would, I would always get one anyway, is it's really helpful because it's hard to see. Once you're done with that first draft, it's kind of hard to see it anymore. Like you're so ready to hand it off and just be done with it at that point that it's it's hard to see. So having that objective second person take a look and say, yes, this really is a book or no, you got some work to do. Um, they might come back and say, you need more chapters. You need fewer chapters. You need to combine some chapters. Um, so that's the developmental style editor. And the second kind of editor is a copy editor. And that's the person that you most often see these folks on websites like Readsy. And they'll say, I will review your copy for X amount of dollars or X amount per, per 10,000 words. And those are the people that make sure things like you don't say, this was my, my bete noir, is I kept saying really. Like I must have written really like 50 times. It's ridiculous. So if somebody will go through and pull out those, um, they may um, 
um, clean up your language. They may make it more simple typically versus more complex. Um, but they're actually going through every single word of that book and marking it up for on their suggestions. And then the last piece is not really an editor, but I just want to mention it, and that's a proofread. And if you were... Um, an author with a big publishing house, those would be three separate people. You'd have a developmental editor, a copy editor, and a proofreader. When you're dealing on your own, a lot of times copy editors are not the best proofreaders. You think they would be, but they're so focused on the grammar and pulling the ideas through that it's not hard for them to miss little things. So um, if you're self-publishing, I would encourage you to hire a proofreader. It's not typically expensive. It might be four or five, six hundred dollars on top of the other expenses. So that's that's kind of the last little bit you might consider. Mm, cool. Okay. And at what point, so maybe we start at the top at the developmental editor. At what point would you bring them in? Like outline stage plus first chapter maybe, back cover, or does it need to be like, you know, you don't talk to them until you've got a completed first draft and they're like, they tell you if, you, if your baby's ugly or not. Well, you're going to get the best out of your editor, if, in this case, if you give them the whole book. Now, if you were pitching the book to a publisher, you wouldn't give them the whole book. You would give them um, usually two chapters, maybe three tops, um, and some other pieces in the proposal. Um, it's hard for a developmental editor to really help you if they can't see the whole book because they typically read the whole book and then they'll give you, they'll usually call it an editorial letter. And it might be two, three, four pages tops where they give you feedback. So you're going to get the best results if you write the whole thing. If you're just really intimidated by that and you absolutely make, want to make sure that you have an idea, um, I would see if you could find a book coach who who's done enough of this kind of, of book to make sure that your idea is book worthy. And that's also someone who might be able to help you tie it back to the work that you do and decide, you know, what angle you want to take on the book. Okay, so then once the development or well, in your case, what was the level of effort after they were done? So like when you got that editorial letter, was it like, oh, man, I need to start from scratch? I suppose worst case scenario is start from scratch. Best case scenario is it's perfect. Certainly the reality is somewhere in between. So what was that experience like for you? Well, I can't imagine anybody ever gets a developmental edit that says it's perfect. Like editors by their nature can always find something to change, right? So yeah, so in my case, I was actually really happy with the the developmental feedback. And the, the part that was daunting, and there's always something that's daunting, was that she wanted more. She said, you know, I think you need another, I'm trying to remember how many words was it? Was it 10,000 words? I think it was something like 10,000 words. But but the the problem was she wanted me to take out a bunch. And so what I did is there was there, there were some how-tos in the book that I took out and put in a supplement. It was free, but it's a separate, um, you know, you exchange your email address for this separate workbook. So what she was saying is, you know, yeah, you have to have, you know, maybe it was five to 10,000 more words, but we're taking out 8,000. So I'm like, I have to write another third of a book. 
and my my challenge was I felt like I'd said everything I needed to say and I didn't want to just fluff it up so that was that was definitely a challenge but what a worthy challenge I mean the book was so much better for that feedback that I'm really glad I got it even though you know I had that moment where I'm like oh really Mm. do I have to (laughs) yeah what uh what was the sort of trying to like how did you do that because I can understand that feeling right like like Mm -hmm. well I already said everything so like what was the nature of the request was it like oh you you didn't say anything about this category of like I don't know price you didn't say anything about pricing you should talk about pricing or was it more like we need more personal stories so we can connect with you type of stuff it was more the latter it was like tell me more about what you've already said so in that sense it is easier you know, then, oh, write like seven new chapters and something you've never heard about before. Um, And there were little things like um, she wanted me to end every chapter in the same way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was, you know, that took a little thinking, but it wasn't rocket science. Mm. What, what this is sort of a stupid question. Maybe you don't have the answer, but why does the word count matter or why did she say the word count mattered in your situation oh okay actually that's a I think that's a really good question so um and I'm I'm no expert on like romance novels and thrillers but there there is a bit of a formula for certain kinds of books and I want to say the thrillers are 80,000 words plus Um, and I think mine had, cause I was, that's the other reason I had a developmental editor. I wasn't sure if I had enough. I think I had maybe 25,000 words, which is a little light. Usually, um, our kinds of expertise books are going to be 30 to 35 to 50, maybe 60,000 words. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can get too long. We've all read books where oh, yeah. like, this would have been a better article than a book. Right. So, yeah, so it's kind of in that range. And so... Her feeling was it just needed to have more oomph. It needed to have more um, more stories, more stuff. And I, she, she, I don't even think she said more stories. I think she said more. Like, I want more. This is interesting. I want more. And so, th- so then I was sitting back going, all right, are there stories I haven't told here? What else could I say about this? And in a way, that's the curse of the expert. Like, I might assume that my reader would know that. But maybe they don't. And it wasn't just factual. It was also, you know, it was like I was trying to tie the ideas together from chapter to chapter so that as they move to each chapter, they can build on the work that they've done in the chapter before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can imagine getting that feedback. Oh, I need, you know, net new 10,000 words, but that means I'm writing (laughs) 18,000 and 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 pushing back slightly and saying like, well, why, you know, do you think that's going to make the book better or are we looking for a spine thickness? Yeah, no. Uh, Yeah. A good editor is not looking for spine thickness. Now, if you're in, if if we're not talking self-publishing, they will want it to be a certain size because they have all kinds of formulas. Big publishing houses, I mean, they operate on razor thin margins these days. So they have all kinds of formulas that they want you to follow and they won't always tell you what they are, but they will manage you to it in the editorial process. <laughs> yeah. 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 So if an editor is saying it has to be this length because I would definitely push back and say, well, tell me, 
why you say that. And, and a good editor will tell you. They will say, you know, I just feel like you leave the reader hanging on chapter two. Like you talked about this, this, and this, but you didn't say very much about this third thing that you teased at the beginning. Talk more about that. So that's the kind of specific feedback that a good editor is going to give you. Cool. Yeah, that would work very well with me. I would I would respond very well to that kind of feedback. So I, I have noticed um, as a reader, right, that there's um, there's a there's a duration of either my reading time or listening time if it's an audiobook where if it's too long, this is for business books, nonfiction mm-hmm. business books, uh, that I just assume either it's too much fluff, which is off is a very common problem with uh, many books. I've man, I just, I've started two <laughs> different books last night, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, like get to the point. I don't need to hear your rags mm-hmm. to riches story over and over. <laughs> you know, but on the other hand, there is a certain there's this if it, there this other style of book that's almost textbooky where it's very thorough and incredibly dense and no fun to read where yeah. where you where the connecting the dots to the the real world is just left as an exercise to the reader and those are i mean those are not my favorite either so as a reader there's there's this middle ground i thought you you struck it perfectly where um where there was enough person in there it wasn't just dry facts you know, there's enough human being in there and uh, stories and background and and you can do this, but not too much cheerleading. So there's this balance that I like to see in books. And But I do err on the leaner side. I do like books that are a little bit on the leaner side that are fairly tactical. You know, like I think of April Dunford's book is just great in mm-hmm. terms of in terms that's of like a, that's lean, but but in such a good way. Yeah. Lean like an Olympic sprinter you know yeah yeah or yeah. greyhound yeah 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 um david c baker's new book is like boom to the point <laughs> boom that feels to consistent the point. with his brand yeah. yeah yeah it's it's not a long book but oof boom 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 it's like gut punch on every page uh so that's cool but it is there's no way that book is thirty thousand words i don't know how many words it is but you know it is definitely not i'd be surprised if it was thirty thousand. So I, you know, so I think on, on the one, speaking of word count, I, I would definitely respond well to feedback. Like you left me hanging on this tease. Like, don't, don't do that. That's definitely bad. Um, but to the, you know, to the, I guess the, I guess this isn't really advice to the listener. The advice to the listener is get a developmental editor and and (laughs) listen with an open mind. Um, but, uh, those, those fluff, I I guess I'm out a little bit on a soapbox about these fluff books because I started two or three of them last night and it's just like, please delete. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those it's it's tempting to write a fluff book for some people because you can just rely on your own experience. You don't have to do research. You don't have to have a point of view, really. Um, you know, it's it's it can be really lazy. Um, but the the books that I love in this genre are the ones where there is some amount of research and I'm using the term research almost in quotes because the research could be that they've worked with 50 clients in this area and that's their research it's not like they have to have 20 studies but I want something that's more than I did this once and let me show you how to do it too that to me is not an authority book I mean some people would say that it is but I you know if I'm going to read something I'm going to dedicate 
five hours, 10 hours, whatever it is to read somebody's book, I, I want to ha- I want it to have something I can hang my hat on. Yeah, when I think back to when I first started, when I first, in 2006, when I started my own business, I was trying to figure out value pricing. Like I went on my own to figure it out without risking other people's mortgages. And, and, <laughs> and I made it work pretty quickly, relatively quickly. And people were asking me about it. And had I written a book about it at the time, not that I thought about doing that, but had I, uh, it would have been a bad book or not, it would have not been a useful book because I, when I did start trying to help people with it, cause they were, you know, people would ask, how are you doing this? How's, how did you not go out of business when you ditched hourly? I found that it was very difficult to teach some of the very important parts or to put it another way, there were some things I just do naturally that were critical uh, to my success. There were keys to my success that I did not realize were a factor. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It was like, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so people who have a different personality type or whatever, different mindset that don't have those things are missing a key piece. And I'd be like, why isn't this working? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, or whatever it is. So, so over time, teaching and teaching and teaching and finding new ways to explain the material, it could just, it could be as simple as not necessarily a personality type or character traits. It could just be that, um, people have a different understanding of the word value or people have a different understanding of the word creative or clever, right? We were talking about before the show <laughs> and, and they're just not getting the message, right? It's bouncing off of them. And they're interpreting it in a way that isn't the way I mean it. So there's a lot of that stuff that would have made a book about it really bad. And I'm glad that I didn't write a book about it then. Um, and, and this reminds me of the conversation with Mike Michalowicz we had about, you know, his process is he creates a workshop first, teaches it to, you know, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of people first, gets all the questions, figures out what's effective to help people get where they want to go, and then writes a book at the end. The book is last. Book last, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about with most of our audience, right? Because I think what happens a lot of times when, when you're an expert and you spent your career getting more expert at a thing, it's kind of like you have to get to a certain point mentally to where you're ready to start to share some of those things. And you figured out how to hang them together. Because I think that's the, that's the challenge of the book. Because you're not just sitting on a podcast talking about a thing. You are putting it in a book. It's in print uh, or digital or both forever and ever. And you're putting a stake in the ground. And, and you want people to read it. And it's not an inconsequential request to read 30, 40, God forbid, 80,000 words. <laughs> I mean, an 80,000-word novel, yeah, you know, bring it right. over. An 80,000-word right. expertise book, probably not. Mm. Okay, so at, at what point, I'm curious about the process, if we can squid, skip back to after the developmental, developmental, wow, Take two. <laughs> so let's skip back to the process of you get the editorial letter from the developmental editor. And then yes. do they disengage or do they stay involved or do you, are they done? It, well, it depends. So um, in a big publishing house, you know, they have a team and they come in and out as you need them. Um, typically, most people will hire the same person for developmental and copy editing. They just do, yeah, they just do them at different points. You do the developmental first, which is typically a letter, and then the author, 
updates, rewrites, sends a new draft back, and then that person copy edits. Now, you could have somebody else, um, but with self-publishing, it's fairly uncommon. Most people that I've worked with, uh, and, and I did the same thing, use the same person. But it does it does require, I just want to make this point, it does require a different kind of search because everybody seems to call themselves a copy editor. Like people that are saying, oh, I can copy edit your your PDF, you know, that's four pages. That's not the same as copy edit, editing a book. Um, and there aren't nearly as many people hanging a shingle for developmental editing as there are for copy editing. So it, it does create some complexity in the search but the outcome is worth it right cool that i did not know that i, I would have yeah. thought it was two different people so how how does the copy editing process uh play out is it like um you know they're in a google doc uh, or something like that and you know suggesting changes or highlighting stuff or is this marked up on a piece of paper like what should people expect when they're going through that process well, this is a question you should ask when you're interviewing your editor, because most editors have a very particular way that they want to operate. For example, I have a client that would much prefer a Google Doc, but the editor said, nope, it's a Word Doc. And, he, and he's like, oh, really? <laughs> um, it, Word, and, and I, my editor used Word, and I, which I actually appreciated because I use it a lot, but it is, it's a fairly unstable platform when you start to get a lot of pages. So um, talk to your editor and ask them how it works. But in terms of the process itself, what usually happens is, so you got your developmental edit, maybe you have some questions, you go away, you think about it, you rewrite. You send, let's assume you're having the same editor, so now you're ready for copy editing, you send it back. Then that person is going to look through it. Usually they're going to mark it up, you know, so you can see the changes. Sometimes they will just change a word, like they'll go, really? Cross that out, <laughs> right? Other times they will give you a suggestion. So uh, they won't rewrite it per se. They might say, uh, okay, so this is a good idea, but I think you need to tie it back to this concept in chapter three right here. And then in chapter three, maybe they'll have asterisk something and said, look at chapter seven, because I think there's some continuity issues. Is this the same thing would be another question they might ask. So you're, you're going to get this this thing. Now, in theory, if you're in, in Word, you could just say, accept all and take all of their comments and be done. That never happens. Um, usually what you're going to want to do is there will be, I would say I accepted maybe 98 to 99% of my editor's changes. And I did the work that she asked me to do where she said, you know, do this, do that, do this, write this. Um, the, the one or 2% I didn't accept were where I felt like it was changing my voice, like my style. And that's the thing I just want to throw back at you too, is that we all have a voice. And what you want your editor to do is to keep your voice, but make it better. And that's the hard thing because we have to be willing to look and see where our voice is really good and where our voice could use some help. So that's, that's kind of key. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, there were a few words, I can't remember what they were now, that, uh, that the editor wanted me to use differently. 
and yeah. I didn't want to. Right. I just didn't want to. It didn't feel like me. I didn't want to make the change, so I didn't. And yeah. that's the beauty of self-publishing. The decision is yours at right. the end of the day. Yeah, I had a I had a guy recently go through the editorial process, and there was um, he was using the word dev as short for mm-hmm. software developer, which in, in my opinion was totally appropriate for the reader and is the way people talk about it. And they're, you know, and the, but the editor was like, well, what's, what's this, you know, it doesn't, shouldn't you be saying software developer every time, but it made the, it, if you had done that, it just made the passage unreadable. It was it, anyway, it was one of those things where it was, where it was like, yeah, you're right. It should be spelled out or whatever, but let's, let's, leave this one i'll die on this hill but yes the other ones i'll accept yeah. and it was it's similar who your audiences right right and it was it was my recollection is that the it was something like 90 percent or more of the changes were just like yep except and then a couple mm-hmm. of things that were like you know he got a second opinion and the second opinion was like yeah keep it yeah all right so how i mean it's kind of like asking how long is a string but but <laughs> how long how does much, it take? <laughs> how much time should someone budget for the turnaround time, you know, for the, the editor to get through the book again and make all these changes? I mean, are we talking a week? Are we talking a month? Uh, closer to a month than a week. But here's the thing where you really want to work out the deal with your editor, because we're talking freelance editors here and they have other projects besides yours. So um, what I did for mine worked really well for me. Um, I have another client who I suggested this and he said, no, I'm not going to do it that way. It doesn't work for me. So um, the way that I did it is I looked at when do I want to publish because I wanted to hit um, a certain time of year for publishing and I didn't want it to go into the holidays. I didn't want it to be the first of the year. I wanted to hit the fall. So I worked backwards. And so I gave myself less time then you probably, you know, you being future authors, then you'd probably want to give yourself. So just as an example, so we had the developmental edit come back, and I think I'd built in um, two weeks to make the, the responses back, which was totally unrealistic. It should have been closer to, uh, to three weeks or, or a month. But I met my deadline because I promised her I got a great editor. She was super busy. I love that she was busy. I met my deadline. I met every single deadline. And that's my other advice is set deadlines and meet them and hold your editors to the same, right? And it's easy to, because it's, it's easy to say, oh, it doesn't, the deadline doesn't matter. I just want the book to be perfect, <laughs> right? But it doesn't get better with more time. So I would say, you know, it's like pick chewing the your amount food of time. Too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like just pick a time that is reasonable for you. Like if you get the shakes when I say two weeks, make it a month. That's fine. It's not going to it's not going to be a problem as long as your editor agrees to that. And it's important to meet your deadlines because that editor, much like when we work with clients, you know, we're, we're being held to deadlines. And if we have a, you know, a, a weak space to work on something and we don't get it, uh, it can push everything back. It's you know, they're constantly juggling projects. Totally. God, you reminded me of a story that I, th- I think wouldn't happen. In, a, in this model, this sort of self-published with freelance editors model. Uh, but there was, a, there was a torturous experience that was very common to 
when I when I wrote books for O'Reilly and I even spoke to some other O'Reilly authors and they experienced the same thing. I don't know if this would happen in in a freelance model, but watch out for it in case it does, which was that uh, you'd still be working on chapter 10 and you'd be getting edits back on chapter two. <gasps> no. Oh yeah, my God. Brutal. <laughs> that would brutal. make me crazy. Oh, it that's was so brutal. Hard. Yeah. You couldn't remember. You, you didn't know which way it was up. It was, but that was yeah. just the process. Yeah, because it probably worked really well for their editors, but it doesn't work so well for authors. And it's the way I think of of writing a book, and maybe this is true for any kind of a book, really, is that you're creating a universe with this book. You're using certain terms. You're you've got an ideal audience that you're writing to. You have this goal of what you want this book to do, and it's hard, at least for me, to come in and out of that. Like it's like I I need like like a a a, a, a I don't know an interim like an intermission or something where okay I'm back into the book and it's gonna take me like 15 minutes or a half an hour to really be back in that world so I would set up chunks of time and bigger chunks rather than smaller chunks because I just found it took a while to like get in the right headspace and it's not even about being in the mood to write it's none of that it's just making sure that you have at your disposal who I'm writing this for what do I want them to do what is my goal in changing this and editing this piece it's I just think you allow yourself the ability to get into the world that you've created and it just doesn't happen in a minute or five minutes (laughs) right right okay so once the the copy edit process is over then the proofreader is a separate person yeah typically yeah okay and at, at what point i know this is about editors and not like design or like internal layout or anything like that but at, does the proofreader come next and then then it after that it would you know people would start being like okay we need to get a page count well yeah the proofreading is the last thing that happens before you hire um, anybody else to produce well I shouldn't say before you hire before you get anybody else started on producing the book because until it's proofread things can still change and then once it's proofread then you need a couple things somebody has to lay out the book which is not really editorial although you have to look at it and make sure they didn't like drop paragraphs and things so somebody has to lay out the book and when it's laid out they will typically lay it out for uh, for Amazon Um, and you know, I'm guessing you're probably going to do a print book as well. And so they're going to lay it out for that. And you can't finish the cover design until you know how many pages are in the print book. So you can, you can design it, but you can't finalize it until you know exactly how many pages will be in the print book. And that means you have to pick the size of the book. You know, there's there's some decisions in there. I don't want to overcomplicate it, but yeah. But so the proofreading is really, to get back to your question, the proofreading really is the final step before you go to layout. Okay. And, and I'm guessing that process, the proofreading process is, how much do we budget for that? A week or two at the most, I would think? Yeah. Again, it, it, it goes back to the availability of the person that you're using to do it. And a lot of times proofreading happens pretty fast. If they have an opening in their schedule, they love it because it's quick. I mean, even a, even a, you know, a 30,000 word book is fairly quick for proofreading. And so, and it's, it's kind of 
quick cash, if you will, for the proofreader. Um, but I would try to line them up ahead of time. And again, because they're at the tail end, if you if your schedule goes awry, you may lose your window with a proofreader. So, mm. And what are you just sending the same Word document or, or Google Doc yes. over to them? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what kinds of things are they looking for that the, I mean, we talked about it briefly earlier, but I mean, are we talking about like, oh, these page numbers are out of order or the index is wrong or would you even have an index or the table of contents pointing at the wrong page? They look at everything like that. And, mm. um, you, you know, is there a period where there should be a semicolon? Because copy editors are more trying to get the feel for it. They won't necessarily catch all the little, you know, grammatical Typing. kinds of yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. In fact, it was funny when I wrote my book, um, I had it with the proofreader when I gave it to um, to one of the people who was going to do a blurb for me. And I was so embarrassed because he found an error and it wasn't a typo it was a wordo it was using a word incorrectly and I didn't I didn't recognize it even after he told me I was like that's I mean to myself like that's wrong <laughs> I had to look it up and I thank God I had told him that it was still in proofreading but the proofreader didn't catch it <laughs> but he did so I yeah it's 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 one of those things where the more people that look at this for those kinds of things, the better the chances are that your book will be, you know, error free. That's actually that might be a segue into a, a tangent or related tangent that maybe we'll do a full episode on. But who else should be reading the book in this process? So this this process is months long. Month, you know, this is post first draft, pre final layout and design. Who else? Who else would be in there? Like, would you would you be reaching out to people for blurbs? It sounds like yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to think about this, and it some of it depends on your belief system. There are people who like to get feedback on their book really early in the process. I did not, and most of my clients don't want to, but I've had some who do. Um, and the reason I didn't is I didn't want somebody else's voice inside my head. I I knew what I wanted to write about. And I was perfectly willing to test it, right? But I didn't want to test it till I had something I was proud to attach my name to. So typically what you've got to do in order to get blurbs, um, I would recommend you do it, it, you not do it until you at least are done with the copy editing. Now you can do the, uh, you know, what I did, which is I said, this is with the proofreader. So there may be a few um, things that change, but I, you know, I read it and I didn't see any obvious errors in it. And so I thought, okay, if I don't see them, that's good enough to give it to people for blurbs. So uh, I gave them, you know, digital copies. Um, you can do advanced reader copies that are like physical books. And I offered people if they wanted that, I would print it off for them as a PDF and send it to them. But everybody took uh, took e-versions. Um, is that is that... I can't think of anybody else I would be showing it to. Uh, well, there's, there is a little trick. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember where I heard this, but I loved it and I, I used it for myself. So the trick is to read it out loud to yourself. And, um, and you know, I, I think I did it twice. I did it once before I sent it off to the developmental editor. Because what happens when you read it out loud, you're a little bit more like the reader hearing it. And I did edit it some when I did that. And then I did it one more time 
before the proofread. Like, how does this read? And it's weird, like, because it takes a long time to read a book out loud. But it, it sounds really weird, but I found that, you know, really helpful. Um, and then I remember, so I, I, I did... Uh, whenever I would finish a chapter, I would read it to my husband, who is not in our field at all. Um, but he listens to all my blog posts and stuff I write when I need to read it out loud to somebody for a second opinion. And it was helpful. Like what, uh, plus, the, you know, he's my husband. So he's like, oh, that's so good. You're a genius. <laughs> when you're in that in that creative mode, it helps to get like some positive reinforcement, even if it sucks, because the editor will tell you if it sucks. Yeah. Hopefully your spouse is just supportive. Oh, I thought you wanted everybody to send it to Harvey. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, and so so I've I've had clients who have shared it uh, where they, they have um, someone they work with very closely, like maybe it's a contractor, not a mini-me, but somebody that they do work with. Um, they may say, oh, you know, could you read this? That's a big ask. And so it's typically you want that to be somebody that you really know versus when it's mostly done and you have advanced readers. That's still an ask, but it's not as big of an ask. And people get excited to read a book before anybody else does. Certain people do. Yeah, cool. Trying to think. Uh, I guess I think the the last thing I had as a question was, uh, we've talked about budgeting time for each of these steps. What's a what's a range that people could expect for the editorial? So the the just the editorial stuff, not the design, not the layout, and all that. But like, what seems seems like a reasonable price for an investment of this type? I I mean, on the absolute low end, I'd say maybe a thousand dollars, but I wouldn't expect to find much for that. Um, to say five thousand on the higher end. Um, and where that can change is, let's say that you have a very technical book, like a finance book or a, um, a technology book, and you want a certain kind of person to read those and, and have some quality review. That's going to cost more to find somebody who, you know, here's, a, here's an advantage of niching, right? Somebody who niches into technology books, like the editorial equivalent of O'Reilly, right, is going to charge more. Um, somebody who's got a lot of experience with personal finance books where you've got lots of charts and graphs or, you know, cookbooks where you have lots of images, those people cost more. But, you know, somewhere between 1000 and 5000 in terms of a budget should, should get you what you want. Mm. And so how would you find, I mean, certainly word of mouth. Yeah, maybe we can close on this. Um, where should someone look? You know, ask around, see if they, you know, anybody's got recommendations, of course. But where, where's, I think there's some online marketplaces that I've heard of or maybe from you. Yeah. Um, I like Readsy, R E E D S Y. Uh, I think it's readsy.com. I, I like them a lot. Um, it's sort of like, um, like, uh, like Fiverr for editors, except it's much it's much better branded, much higher quality on average, right? You're not getting you're getting people who have a lot of experience typically in what they do. But here's the but like with any kind of site like that, you've got to do your homework. And they don't make it super easy for people like us because a lot of people are writing their first novel. And so trying to separate people that have experience with our kinds of mostly business books 
is not as obvious. And finding true developmental editors is not as obvious. So you, you want to budget some time to really go through Readsy and kind of choose. I think you can you can ask up to five people at a time for for a proposal. And you 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 really don't want to ask for those proposals until you know what your book is going to be about. You have a rough word count. You know what your timing is because that's the other question they're going to ask you. Um, so you want to be able to do all those and then find the right editor on Readsy. Now, my approach, now, you know, the caveat is I've worked with a lot of editors for my clients over the years. So I've worked with some really top editors at some big edit houses, uh, publishing houses rather. And so like, I know what to look for and I'm kind of spoiled. I want, I want what I want. Right. And I, I found exactly the person I wanted. I, I, I think I cast a net to five and there were three that I investigated further. And luckily the one that I wanted, wanted me too. And we were able to come to a deal. Um, but you, you really want to find the person who feels like they're going to get you and be able to work with you. So uh, one of my clients, really wanted to talk to each one. I didn't. I didn't need to talk to them. I looked at their stuff and I'm like, okay, this is the kind of book I want. Let me tell you what I'm looking for and then you tell me what you would do and how it would work. Um, So if you're the kind of person that has to have this you know, you sort of have this image of the old time authors with their editors, like think of any movie that has an author in the last like 40 years, right? That's not really how this works, right? If you want to hire that, you can, you're going to pay probably a lot more than $5,000, but you're not going to be sitting in a literal room with your editor going over page by page. It's, It's very, it's very digital. It's very, very digital in Pretty much always. So if you need to talk to somebody and have conversations, you need to tell them that in your request for proposal. Mm. Cool. I've ex- I don't know if I've exhausted my questions. I guess you've exhausted all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just would add one thing to that, though. I would ask for referrals. Um, it's, it's hard because what's the kind of editor one person likes is not the kind of editor another person likes. But one of the things I've done um, on occasion is I'll read a book and I'll, I'll just think that's really well edited. And I did that in one case and I tried to find the editor and, and, and couldn't find her. So I wrote the author. I didn't think they would answer, but they did. I said, I'm pretty sure that this is self-published and the, the edit was just so beautifully done. And, and the name was in the credits. And I said, I've been trying to find her, but I can't. Would you be willing to connect us? And they said, oh, I would, but she doesn't do editing anymore. She left the field. I'm like, oh, darn. So, yeah, sometimes just look at another book and you, you can tell. Like, there, there are books that you be like, April Dunford would be a good example. Like, I would go and look and see who she used for an edit on that, if, if that's the style you want, where it's, it's lean and clean and the prose feels very much like her voice. Uh, I would say that was a well-edited book. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, you can ask for referrals, but also you can look at books that you really liked that were self-published and see if you can track down the, the editor. Perfect. A tour de force, the self-published editorial landscape. Love it. 
Yeah, man, I can't wait to see some books coming out of this. I, I love nothing more than a, a new author with a new book. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Cool. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again. Sorry. And we hope you join us next time for the business of authority. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. Jonathin- Jesus, wrong <laughs> I, I was thinking because oh, you know, on my mind I was like oh maybe we should mention the book series thing again but then I decided against it and forgot what I was talking about <laughs> <laughs> all right all right folks that's it for this week I'm Jonathan Stark <laughs> sorry <laughs> this is Stark <laughs> let's try one I'm not making fun of you <laughs> let's try that one more time all right folks that's it for this week I'm Jonathan Stark and I'm Rochelle Moulton and we hope you join us again next time on the business of authority Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> do, do not leave that all in. <laughs> no.